Hello, 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 and welcome to the Wild Honey Collective podcast. We take inspiration from the alchemy of the bees who work in service to all life through their all-natural, all-business female leadership structures. We hope to one day belong to similar social collectives built on a culture of cooperation, efficiency, and communication through dance. We believe that we discover who we are and where we come from when we venture beyond the boundaries of the familiar and explore the wild frontiers of imagination, relationship, and lineage. And we hope that, like the worker bee, when we honor our work as sacred, we become pollinators of personal sovereignty in a greater scheme of relationships, of collective cooperation. So join us here, at the edge of what we are here to discover. We pollinate ideas about how we could live in greater integrity with our values and alchemize those ideas into coordinated, artful action. I'm your host, Amelia Rain Morrison, and I'll be bringing us into conversation. At this moment, I like to call myself a cultural worker, farm worker, and curator of community gathering space with an attraction to sparking connections through the arts of exploration and tension. The Wild Honey Collective is a podcast for cultural worker bees. (laughs) What is cultural work? Cultural work is creative labor that helps us witness, understand, and articulate the ongoing development of culture as an artistic and intellectual practice. I started this podcast to bring together voices that spark inspired action. I hope to see the people who engage with this platform use it as a touchstone for our continued belief that a collective shift toward life-giving, life-sustaining ways of being is possible. And I hope you'll stay with me as we explore reimagined collaborative relationships to our bodies, minds, and places within an ecology of belonging. Today we'll explore the discipline of dreaming. My hope is that this will give you a glimpse into where these conversations are taking us and the lineage from which they have grown. Dreaming is our starting point because the work you are hearing right now is the cumulative result of wild dreaming. Russell Lede said that we are our ancestors' wildest dreams. While there is a rich diversity of cultural understandings of dreams, one unifying thread through the human experience of dreaming across time and space is their root in the imagination. I believe imagination to be one of our most sacred portals to resisting lifeless systems built on harm and separation. Therefore, dreaming is one of our most powerful tools in cultivating the seeds of a collective home in our world, driven by intentional stewardship of life systems built through relationship. And if dreaming is an intrinsic source of resistance to systemic harm that we know cannot continue, it must also become a discipline that we practice each day as an expression of our commitment to confronting harm. That is what the Wild Honey Collective is about.
but I could not talk about any of this without first talking about lineage. The Wild Honey Collective holds deep gratitude for the ecological and intellectual lineage we belong to. We would not have the eyes to see our vision or the words to articulate it without the intellectual and cultural work of black feminists, abolitionists, the movement for black liberation, the immigrant justice movement, and the indigenous water protector movement. I am also deeply grateful for my ancestral roots in the Celtic and Druidic traditions who understood the living earth as a profound source of wisdom and guidance and treated the natural world as a highly respected member of their community as a result. This work grows from the fertile bottomlands of the Shenandoah Valley, formed by ancient oceans and fed by the Shenandoah River, who flows north to the Potomac and into the Chesapeake Bay. In our work to strengthen our relationships with the land, we remember that we came to know this place as our home through a 400-year process of forced removal of indigenous peoples and destruction of the forests, rivers, and soils. The area from the Roanoke to Potomac River valleys along the Blue Ridge and Allegheny Mountains has been the territory of the Monacan and Monahoic nations of the Eastern Siouan-speaking cultures for 10,000 years. The violence of colonization also pushed displaced Saponis, Okanichis, Tutelo, and Tuscaroran groups, and groups of Iroquoian peoples, to join the Monacans around Bear Mountain, where the heart of the Monacan nation remains today. The Monacan nation is one of the few American Indian nations to remain in their ancestral homelands, and continues to steward the cultural and ecological development of Virginia in service to the sovereignty of indigenous people. With this collective wealth supporting our endeavor to practice non-cooperation with systems of oppression and giving voice to the beauty of who we could become, who we could return home to as stewards of land, as reparation givers, and as partners in becoming, we are humbled and inspired to study ourselves through their brilliance. Miriam Kaba is an organizer, educator, and curator whose work focuses on ending violence and dismantling the prison industrial complex through transformative justice and youth leadership development. I know what you're thinking. She's not our guest. <laughs> I wish, but it is her voice that inspires the framework through which I'll talk today about imagination as a tool with power. She says that imagination allows you to travel while being firmly rooted in the place where you are. It is, she says, a pathway to world-making. And this imaginative ability gives us the capacity for hope. Rebecca Solnit says that hope is not a substitute for action, but a basis for it. From this same idea, Miriam Kaba talks about hope as a discipline that she chooses every day in her transformative justice work. She commits to it as a practice. Hope is not a fluffy thing, and it's certainly not optimism she says, 
because optimism suggests that things will turn out fine. Things may not turn out fine, but I am committed to the daily practice of trying, doing, and struggling. Our culture treats dreams as unreal figments that are separate and irrelevant from the concerns of day-to-day life. We consider the day-to-day waking life real and the subconscious dreaming world imaginary, yet both realms are bound by the same subjectivity of our own minds. Much of the cultural anthropology you'll find about dreaming if you go looking on the internet focuses on ancient cultures, which often held dreams as messages of great significance with consequences in the realms of relationship, religion, governance, and mortality. The ancient Egyptians and Hebrews believed dreams were a bridge between the living world and the world of deities and spirits of the dead, a veil that became thinner as the dream came. Aboriginal myths from the peoples of Australia tell us that ancestral spirits dreamed the world, including their own forms, into existence, and that this dreaming is a continuing process that allows the dreamers to witness creation as it is happening. These ancient understandings of dreams give us an idea of what we might be missing in our own relationship with our dreams. So let's go deeper into how we can work with our dreams to reveal what the subconscious has to offer us as we pay attention to our inner world and everything that happens around us. Dreams come from within us, yet they are presented to us as if from a separate and elusive part of ourselves. They are an internal dialogue between the conscious and subconscious mind. We all know about Sigmund Freud, yeah? And if you're with me on this, we're tired of hearing about this man and his slightly patronizing views on the ways that women tried to express their sexuality in a patriarchal and repressive environment. But if you don't know, Freud theorized that dreams are processes of what he called wish fulfillment, which is basically unconscious desires that have been repressed by the ego. They're things that stem from guilt, and the dreams are the attempt from the unconscious mind to resolve some kind of subconscious conflict. Another popular voice on dreams, who I admire, is Carl Jung, who was less of a mansplainer and clearly had a healthier childhood than Freud. Jung saw dreams as natural expressions of the imagination that used the most direct language our brains can understand, myths and symbols. He argued that even without the conscious effort of interpretation, dreams are always doing the work of integrating our conscious and unconscious lives. So, when we think of dreaming as a discipline, we can think of it as a cultivated practice of conversation with parts of ourselves we have only limited and conditional access to. We can increase our access by increasing our fluency of the language of our dreams, which is a language of symbolism. But like learning any language, the process requires intention and attention, 
especially when it comes to understanding the nuance of communication in the language of dreams. Paying attention to your dreams, in my experience, induces more dreaming. Slowly getting more information and interpretive ability comes from writing down your dreams, trying to remember them when they're fresh, and practicing self-awareness through your dreams. So if you're interested in cultivating this practice as a discipline, record your dreams. Record your dreams. First things in the morning, if possible. This feels like something that people are hesitant to commit to, but I cannot recommend it highly enough. Since I started keeping a dream journal, physically writing, if possible, because it does actually improve your memory and helps those dreams be drawn out. My dreams have become more active, more imaginative, and more informative about things that are going on underneath the surface of my own psyche. So I have a few tips for you if you are interested in cultivating this practice. Try keeping a dream journal or a series of voice notes on your phone. Writing is better if it's accessible to you because it really helps you to jog your memory. If dreams don't come easily to you, then it may help you to cultivate a bridge to your subconscious mind. Next, include in your dream journal, as you record each dream, what people call a day residue. Write down simple overarching things that had happened in the day before the dream. This will help you to track the kinds of events that trigger certain dreams. It may not always be apparently obvious, but you will start to see patterns and trends as you go along. For example, if you have something that is causing you anxiety, you might see a parallel to certain types of symbolism or encounters in your dreams that then you will be able to understand as anxiety and better interpret as you see it in the future. Next tip, after you've recorded one month of dreams, go back through your journal, read through your entries, and try to interpret as you go. Of course, you can do this more often if it suits you, but the reason that I really enjoy allowing some time to pass before I try to interpret dreams, especially if the meaning of them is unclear at the time that I am writing them down, is because you've been through the emotional and physical terrain that that dream came to you through. The passage of time makes it a little bit easier to understand how your dreams were trying to help you work through questions and puzzles in your life at that time. Next, I'm gonna give you a few examples of symbols that have maybe general interpretations. And I'm going to use examples from my own dreams and patterns and just things that I've noticed in my experience. So here we go. You got a sneak peek into my subconscious, giddy up. 
I am going to discuss some of the general themes of animals, body parts, different elements that you might see in your dreams. And just think of this as a starting point if you are unsure about how to begin interpreting your dreams, especially because most of the resources online about dream interpretation are shit. Sorry. They're not the most thorough and authentic. So I am going to give you my own interpretation that has been meaningful for me. So first, if you see animals in your dream, then as a starting point, you can think of this as symbolizing instincts and evolutionary drives. So even though there are specific symbols associated with specific animals, which I'll talk about in a moment, this is a general starting place that kind of points to the distinction between your thinking mind and your instinctual mind. That's how I think of it. I'll give you an example from dreams that I was having every couple of weeks for a while last year. I was having dreams that random animals like rats as big as dogs or little gerbils or other rodent-like animals were running towards my feet and trying to bite my toes. And I was working with a dream interpreter at the time and was pretty unsure of what this was, but it was coming at one point multiple nights in a row. And so I knew it was important and significant. And she suggested that this was a representation of anxiety. Obviously, no one wants rats as large as puppies trying to bite their toes. And in the dream, I would be slowly dancing on my tippy toes, trying to get away from them. But it was almost like they were coming out of the frame of my vision because they were so close to me. And I think of that as a representation of how our own anxieties can fall out of the frame of our vision and become invisible to us when they're so close to our personal experiences and so baked into our psychological environment. Another example is another one that was recurring quite often. Every couple of weeks, I would dream that I was next to or watching a big ancient looking snake. And many of you can probably think of symbolism associated with serpents, especially if you are in the Christian tradition. But interestingly, in the Hindu tradition, there is also really powerful imagery associated with the snake that identifies, that I identify with a little bit more. Um, in the Hindu tradition, Kundalini is a Sanskrit word 
that describes a form of divine feminine energy believed to be located at the base of the spine associated with the sacral chakra. Kundalini was originally a study of the science of energy and spiritual philosophy, and you may have heard of it as a style of yoga or whatever, but it's actually translated to a coiled snake. And so one of these dreams that I was having was that the snake was coming from my toes. And so you're seeing that same dynamic going on, but with this imagery of the snake. And if you're thinking of that imagery as, or that symbolism, as a representation of energy, then to me that really spoke to the ways that my struggle to feel energetically grounded was causing me anxiety, was trying to bite at my roots. My feet would be my roots and the place where I connect to the ground, so the place where I find groundedness. And those two parallels were very interesting for me to think about how I was tending to my own energy. So along that same vein, if you dream of specific body parts, so in this case the feet, then think about groundedness. If you dream, if your dream has significant symbolism around the head, think about ideas, thoughts, connection to that that is beyond you, the spiritual, the outside world. Again, if you are familiar with chakra centers, the crown chakra is all about connection, especially conduit energy between you and the universe, others, and all that you interact with outside of yourself. Next symbol is elemental. Um, one example for me that I constantly dream about is water. That is kind of interesting because astrologically I have a lot of water in my chart, whereas I don't dream about fire, for example, very much. But water in dreams typically symbolizes the emotional world, the emotions themselves, and the subconscious. So if you see water appear in your dreams, think of those themes also think of what is the water doing? Is it still and tranquil or is it waves? Is it tumultuous? Is the environment tropical or is it arctic? Do you feel afraid to be in or near the water or are you happy? Those extra details will help you interpret the nature of what your dream is trying to tell you about your emotions or your subconscious. Next one, I threw this in there just as a fun anecdote really. Flying in dreams is a really fun one. I had a fantastic dream a couple months ago where I was flying through the air at about 400 miles per hour. I was 
rounding a corner of, or I was actually flying across this um, round, deep blue lake, and there were water buffalo in the lake drinking. And I was weaving in and out of these enormous redwood trees. And at first it was exhilarating and I was in a state of real joy. And then interestingly, as they often do, the dream begins to shift. And soon I'm almost getting caught up in branches and the crown of the trees as I'm passing each one at top speed. And slowly but surely, I'm coming closer and closer to ramming straight into the trunk of one of these trees as I'm flying, which is how the dream ended. (laughs) And so this would symbolize getting to a higher perspective so that you can view all that is below. In the case of the lake and the water buffalo, it was, you know, like me looking down at my emotions perhaps, and the water buffalo seemed very tranquil, so maybe just like me observing myself in a emotionally calm place as I was in this like whirlwind experience of flight um, can also symbolize just like your life moving really fast or you rapidly moving into a new a new realm in your life or a new ability and finally last but not least if you dream of giving birth think about the creative principle think about nurturing something to life the fertility that you hold in this particular moment for the possibility of creation. And I have had some really sweet dreams of giving birth and some that were like, all of a sudden I forgot to feed my baby. And I was like, wait, I forgot I even had a baby. How long has it gone without someone taking care of it? Like, when is the last time you ate? (laughs) which is pretty evident that it's my own anxiety about responsibilities that I have for things I'm taking care of. So those are just some examples to help you think through what common symbols and patterns might mean in your dreams. Write to me about symbols that you see or interpretations that you're trying to figure out because I would be very curious to hear some of those stories from each of you. If recording your dreams in the middle of the night feels inaccessible, maybe it disturbs your sleep or your partners, there are a few things you can try. Try keeping a notepad by your bedside that you can very briefly write impressions down before turning over and going back to sleep. Even that brief pause in your sleep cycle will help you remember the dream. If that doesn't work, try meditating for five minutes every morning when you wake up. Try to remember your dreams during that time. Focus on the impressions. Maybe there's like 
the ghost of a memory from your dream and just feel around the edges of that memory. And over time, I can almost guarantee you that you will see improvement, but overall you're just practicing and cultivating your mental strength and ability to focus. And it's at a moment when you are between dream world and the flow of your waking day. So it literally can't hurt you. Why not? It's going to only benefit you. Dreaming only occurs in REM sleep, which is the deepest stage of the sleep cycle. So if you don't receive dreams for extended periods of times, it's totally normal to not receive dreams for periodic moments of the year. But if you find that remembering your dreams is a rare thing in your life, then it could be worth thinking about the quality of your sleep. While sleep disorders are a thing, and I unfortunately can't offer any professional advice on that topic, many of us are not truly committed to getting the sufficient amount of sleep that we need to gift ourselves the tissue repair, mood regulation, and memory consolidation, and all the other numerous benefits that sleep provides us, which we will talk about more in a future episode. But tell tell yourself to get the amount of sleep that you need. You will be more focused the next day. You will be more productive. It is a good thing for your immune system. And who couldn't use a little immune support in a global pandemic? Am I right? Okay. So there it is. When you engage in intentional communication with yourself, you reap the benefits of healthier relationship, just as you would in any relationship. Parallel to other elusive experiences of flow, which is kind of, at the end of the day, how I see dreaming as a discipline, is an experience of flow. What you pay attention to grows, as Adrian Marie Brown says, one of the most prophetic voices of our time. Um, what you pay attention to grows. So the more you pay attention to your dreams, the more that they will reward you with insights into your subconscious. Similarly, the more that you take action, the more motivated you will feel. This may sound counterintuitive because we often delay action until we feel motivated, and yet action itself as a discipline, is the source of motivation. And you will find that as you develop the discipline of taking action on the things that you seek to achieve, the things that you seek to invest in, your mind and your environment will reward you with more confidence, which will inspire more motivation to continue taking action. It's the same thing with exercise. People think that they will not exercise on a day that their energy is low, but often just getting your heart rate up doesn't take much. You don't have to go to the Olympics, but just getting your heart rate up 
and um, getting endorphins flowing, getting the energy in your body moving sparks more energy. And that is just science, my friends. Healthy choices spark more healthy choices. Healthy thoughts spark more healthy thoughts, etc. As Miriam Kaba says, to bring it full circle, this investment in imagination is a form of world making. And even if you regard your dreams as random figments of the mechanical brain, I ask you, how is that any different from everything else that you hold as truth, all filtered through your sweet little brain. So, to wrap all this up, we end with two key questions. How do we connect our labor to the discipline of dreaming? Can our imagination actually guide the work that we give our energy to so that we can offer it to future generations who will be the expression of our own wildest dreams? How do we strengthen our imaginative muscles so that the imagining mind can speak to us in dreams of a future that alchemizes systems of death into life-giving systems that foster and feed more life? I steep myself in the discipline of dreaming I am inspired by community and hope that you will join me in cultivating a collective of cultural worker bees that are committed to being together in wild dreaming, growth mindsets, and communion with our bodies and with the earth body to which we all belong. Let's continue this conversation into the autumn when the podcast launches on all listening platforms November 5th. That's right, people, November 5th. If you want access to our episodes and extended content, helping you alchemize your wild dreaming into being, join me over on Patreon at the Wild Honey Collective, where you can become a supporter of the podcast starting at $10 a month. Until then, write to me about your wildest dreams and how you hope to be in the discipline of creating them. I'll be speaking to listener questions and reflections to warm up the pod next time. For all the wild honeys out there, keep creating.